0: Welcome everyone to another episode of 42 to Doomsday. Uh, while Mark is on uh, reconnaissance in Wigan, I've uh, roped Richard in <laughs> to talk about Doctor Who reference books. Uh, hopefully one day the contents of that famous lockup will be um, a chapter in a, in a new version of Wiped by Richard Molesworth. But in the interim... Uh, I've got Richard in, and we're going to be talking about Doctor Who reference books. Richard,
1: welcome. Good afternoon again. And uh, how have you been? Not bad. Tried to pull a number of books out for today, so probably, uh, <laughs> given you're an audio podcast, that's uh, <laughs> not really reference points, but uh, it's been good actually to go through some of the old books again. So yes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who
0: uh, reference books uh, down through the ages.
1: Uh, yes, I think well, we will start with the uh, very earliest ones in the early 70s, and we pretty much come right up to date. And before we um,
0: dig through all that... What is it? Just a question just to sort of open things mm. up. What is it about Doctor Who reference
1: books that are so appealing to fans? It probably depends on the fan. I mean, look, they're, they're not probably like everything. They're, they're not really for everybody. But I think it's a way... I mean, when you're a younger fan, I mean, some of the first ones I had were probably a way to find out more about the series. I mean, when you've only seen what's on TV and you suddenly realise there's all these stories you've never... Um, you know, you've, you've only ever heard by name. So a reference book probably gives you at least an... Uh, an understanding perhaps or a way into how those uh, what those stories were about I guess there's also the thing they're also very good and useful for if you want to talk about what stories were done under what producer or uh, what actors appeared in what story that sort of thing so that they fill that sort of need um, at, at a basic level and then they probably come all the way up to fans who want to know the absolute minutiae of uh, of how the series was put together how it was produced um, you know, what time William Hartnell took a smoke break during uh, the recording of Part 3 of The Gunfighters, and there is a book that actually does detail that sort of thing. Uh, it was a fan publication. but uh, So I guess they cater for a broad spectrum. Um, some fans look, obviously really just want to watch the show and enjoy it and don't really care too much, but um, I guess the, the reference books are there for the other ones who don't, or who want to know a bit more. And uh, you said we were going to be starting in the 70s. There are no reference books uh, from the 60s at all? Anything that could be just t- termed a reference not, book? Not really. I mean, you, you. I mean, if you define a reference book as uh, something about the the production or the background of the show, I, I mean, look, there are obviously books in the 60s, but they're sort of more what you might call faux reference books. So they're written, say, as if the Daleks are real. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of books about how Dalek society works um, and what to do, you know, if you're a space traveler and you encounter Daleks on your space travels, uh, which are the Terry Nation written ones. But uh, we don't really get a... There's no actual real book about Doctor Who until you get to... Uh, it's 1972. Um, and that's the very first, uh, the original uh, making of Doctor Who, which is the the one for the collectors out there. It's the one with the John Pertwee cover uh, with the Silurian and published by Piccolo. And what was the impetus behind that? Um, it was actually written by... Malcolm Holt, and I think it came largely because they they realised that there were, by then, a number of teenage fans, probably including Peter Capaldi, uh, among their number, um, and and the poor kid who ran the um, uh, who ran the original Doctor Who club, who wanted pretty much who wanted to know more about the show and more about the history of the show and how the show is made, because there's quite a good sort of script to screen section in there on the sea devils which I, th- I think was obviously the story in production at the time that was written so that filled that need I mean the book is rewritten later in the 70s because the original one is sort of Malcolm Holt with additional material from Terence Dix and then the later one is largely rewritten by Terence Dix uh, using some of the original Holt material um, and it's, it's probably written at a I hesitate to say more generic, because that's something that's often applied to Terence Dix, but uh, it, it's probably written at a, a slightly younger level, um, perhaps than the original one. And then you get, well the next big thing that comes out, and it's probably more one for, for the UK fans, is the Radio Times publish a 10 year, their 10th anniversary special, which is a, a sort of about a 70-80 page uh, glossy magazine, excuse me, colour edition. Um, which again has a lot of interviews with people like old companions and people involved in the series. It has a full list of stories with little uh, little story synopses, and it has uh, some behind the scenes stuff as well. People you know who are actually involved in making the series. So that that became, I think, for a lot of UK fans, I believe that that came a, a bit of a resource. Um, as well, I think it was a bible for a long time for for, for UK uh, fans. I, I think so. Yeah, I think a lot of them uh, use that as a, as a sort of gateway into the, into the older years of the series. Certainly, because um, there a lot of uh, probably the most important thing with that is is it had a lot of pictures in it. So, of course, if you sort of had only ever heard about stuff like the Zabi or the Quarks, uh, there were pictures of them in there.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you think that fans at, back back then who were wanting to see visual representation of, of stories that they'd never seen before? Were, were they would we'll never see again, I or would never see again? Were they losing some of the magic of just enjoying Doctor Who? Was it just a fictional exercise? Do, that do these reference books strip away the mistake a bit? Um, now that you know when, uh, you know at what time Hartnell did take that cigarette break, <laughs> does that take away from the show? Do you think? It just
1: as a... uh, look, it probably does. I I think in terms of probably not so much. I mean, for me, they never did in terms of not breaking the magic, shall we say? You know, knowing knowing how pyramids of Mars made was made probably has never stopped me enjoying a story like that or a story like, again, and we mentioned Horror of Fang Rock yet again. Oh, I didn't mention it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, I, I don't think so. I mean, look, you do have books that are clearly maybe aimed at the more... Uh, obsessive is probably the wrong word, but uh, the fans who, who want to know uh, the absolute nuts and bolts, and every single thing that ever happened during the production, mm-hmm. and and look, those books would be a challenge. I would think probably for most other fans mm-hmm. um, who really maybe want a nice coffee table book, or want something like say that the program guide that that gives them if they suddenly have a desire to know who the producer was uh, or when the producer changed over during you know during the Patrick Trout era or a list of actors can can sit there and look that up, but probably don't need to know everything there is to know about 9mm film, or 16mm film. So, they do run the, 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 the spectrum a bit. Yeah, I mean, look, I, as I said, I don't know that they so much broke the magic, but I think there are definitely books that, that would be, uh, yeah, uh, very niche.
0: Okay, and did the Radio Times magazine... In a way, set up a template for future reference books in
1: that regard, or I think actually that the, the probably the probably not so much the Radio Times. I, I think that the next big wave, I guess, if you move forward a couple of years, is, is probably sort of around the later seventies, mid to late seventies, when when uh, obviously when Tom Baker's in in full control in all aspects of the show. Yes, apparently. pretty much, I think. Um, and, of course, you start to get Doctor Who, of course, at that point is quite popular. So, and, of course, the target range has started to take off. And, of course, a lot of the books were published by the, by the same publishers. So how do we sort of uh, get the most out of the, the license? So um, you have, like, the the first the, the two Doctor Who monster books. Yeah. Um, so there's the, the first one, which is, uh, I think, about 1975 or thereabouts. But, um, and, and it really is just a visual... Wander, I guess, through some of the, the more famous monsters, the the, the preceding ten years. Um, so there's a section on the Daleks, there's a section on the Cybermen, but again, you get the the usual things like Zarbi and Censorites and um, some of the Trout and Mice Warriors and some of the Trout and Monsters. Um, the thing actually that struck me with that, looking at that again, was was actually how low quality the pictures were. It is very basic, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is, and and the pictures are they very low quality mm. prints. But I guess again, and and I got my copy. Um I actually had well the first Doctor Monster book I had a friend who had it and I borrowed it from him so many times that eventually I think he just one day looked you do want it. <laughs> that's a that's a pro tip for anyone else out there.
0: If you want something from a friend and not prepared to pay for it, keep on borrowing it. Yeah, just
1: borrow it and borrow it and keep borrowing it. But uh, that, that was quite an exciting book for, for me to look through because there are a lot of monsters, again, you'd you read about them in the target books or you'd, you'd heard about them, but you'd never ever seen what one looked like. And then there's this the, the second Doctor Who monster Book, which um, really um, is actually more a sort of a pictorial guide to the, to the Philip Hinchcliffe years because mm. it, it, it really does. It talks about the, the Doctor and Sarah Jane and Leela um, and then it goes through story by story, uh, basically from Robot through to the Talons of Wing Cheyenne. So... I mean that that uh, actually, my my story with that was um, I got that I th- think I got that when when the season thirteen and because because we were about a year eighteen months behind England I got this when uh, season thirteen and fourteen were being screened here for the first time, and I remember being quite. Uh, upset that I realised there was a story called The Brain of Morbius that that hadn't been screened here. Damn you, ABC! And and I think it was either they they had either just skipped or were just about to skip something called The Deadly Assassin. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and suddenly we weren't watching that. We we went straight from The Hand of Fear into The Face of Evil. Yeah. Um, and and it wasn't some time later. I don't think until I got the target books that I actually knew what any had really much idea what those stories were about because they're sort of like one picture and it may be about hundred and fifty words. Um, but
0: uh, but looking at it now, I mean, it's a, it's a decent little publication. I mean, there's a bit of, you know, colour photos in the middle there. Um, it's a good handy guide, isn't
1: it? It was. And look, I'd have been, what, probably about seven or eight when I, about eight when I got that, I think. And that, that was a great book for a while there. Because I, I suppose, I mean, with one picture, I was able to sort of relive stuff I'd seen. But it also had, uh, as I said, you had pictures in there that, that helped you remember the, the stories. But... Oh, no, that, that was sort of my little bible on the series for the first, uh, those two books really, for mm. the first little while until um, uh, until you get to about 1980 and, and uh, probably the first big landmark publication when uh, L'Affissier does his program guides. Well before we actually get to the 1980s, I'll just step back
0: to the yeah. 70s. Uh, obviously a lot of these books, all of these books are, are available in the UK. Uh, in terms of their publishing history in Australia... Um, how did you get your copies did they just were they available in news agencies here and uh,
1: they were released here I mean canine and other mechanical creatures and, and the, uh, the good old Dalek book were, were, were certainly released here um, and I mean they, they also had uh, again pictures from from stories you, you only knew from names really I mean there's a picture in the Dalek uh, in the Dalek book of, of going into the emperor's throne room uh, from the end of uh, evil of the Daleks. Um, and there's lots of pictures in Canon and other mechanical creatures of, of things like the Quark and the Servo Robot from the, and those sort of things, and you sort of look at them and you think, well, I wonder what else happened. You know, what, what, what if, what's all that about? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, um, in terms of publishing history, as far as I'm aware, they, they were all released here. I mean, we probably had... They would have been shipped in, so, look, they probably never arrived here in any great quantity, I wouldn't have thought. I mean, it's not until you get in, again, into the early 80s we actually get uh, books starting to be published here. But, uh, I mean, I, I certainly remember them being around and, and my, I don't know about the first monster book, but um, certainly the, the second monster book and the canine book and the, and the Dalek book came from, um, yeah, they, they just came from shops here. in.
0: Now, you and I are of a similar vintage. Were Did these books, uh, when you first started picking them up in the 70s, did they cement your your place as a fan with the show uh, or were you already a fan I mean you, uh, well ha, ha, let me rephrase you wouldn't have bought the books if you didn't w- didn't watch the show
1: no they, they certainly added I, I mean I went through I mean thinking about it I mean I went through I, I saw the, I first saw who probably when it was on on Sunday Afternoons I, I think which would have been what season 12 I think I, I probably didn't really become a fan until we moved to weeknights so that would be in the later 70s um, and I, I think for the three, there's probably three years there, I, I think, where, where I pretty much uh, ate, slept and breathed uh, Doctor Who, I think, for, for three years, because the ABC had a bit of a break in the early 80s. And I, I think leading up to that, though, I, I pretty much. So, no, the, those little reference books and the, and the Target books and that really were... Yeah, very much cemented. Were were another way just to to get into enjoy the series. I think when it wasn't on TV. I mean, because I I guess we here had the the endless repeats, uh, you know, of uh, season twelve. And I think we saw is it uh, Ark in Space? I think is the most repeated story here, and something like fourteen times or something. It was shown here in Australia, so about every six months, I think there for a while. But yeah, no, they they were very definitely a way, a way into uh, another way to enjoy the series. Okay. Um, and and to start, I guess to to start finding out probably more about the series uh, as, not just what you'd seen on TV. Mm-hmm. So you you could sum up the '70s books by saying that they were low production values,
0: fairly basic, but a decent uh, gateway into the series background of the series. They
1: are. I mean, look, they're they're written for they're written for kids, mm. really. They're they're written for for you know probably seven, eight to to ten, twelve year old kids. Okay. Um, and, and I think that they're not particularly erudite or Comprehensive? Um, no, not really. I, I mean, they're really an overview and a way to go through. I, you don't start to get the really, really in depth books until uh, probably really into the nineties, yeah. probably. But, but certainly,
0: looking looking at the monster book, uh, the second monster book that you got there, it certainly evokes a lot of memories, doesn't it? Oh, they're it does. Beautiful for
1: that, aren't they? They are, and I they're a very important part of my childhood love of the series, I suppose, mm-hmm. if you want to put it that way. And and I look, I, I've got a lot of fond memories of them. Very good, and uh, you mentioned the uh, the
0: fabled uh program guide, which is our our entree into the uh, the Dayglow era of the 1980s. I mean, my personal memories of of the the Laffitsier program guides. I think they were my first uh, reference books that I'd ever had my hands on. I mean, the the magazine that I didn't get Doctor Who magazine until I think 84, with about issue 87 or 88. Well, actually, around the time I started picking up, I think the sh- one with the charter cover, I think, was the first one. Oh, I had I'd the one got. from the picture with Davo on the front cover from Caves, uh, which
1: I think is the late eighties. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I know I think it was because I remember I walked into a shop and there was. Um, I found two of them in a news agent, so I didn't even know. I don't think Doctor Who magazine existed to no. the
0: point. And in the it's funny in the country town just to divert in the country yeah. town that I was raised in, um, there were no genre bookstores like there were here in Melbourne uh, until there was one in a side little shopping alley sort of thing and they had uh, Doctor Who magazine uh, from around the five doctors I think from looking at it and I yeah, looked at it, at it and it. I thought interesting and I didn't pick it up for whatever for whatever <laughs> reason and in time the shop vanished and we just sort of went back to relying on the local news agency for Doctor Who stuff and genre stuff but the program guide or guides yeah volumes they were fantastic well from my memory was as a callow youth they were the bee's <laughs>
1: knees they were they, they for, for the time they were awesome books because they had a, a complete story list, and they had the number of episodes, and uh, the first book had, um, you know, and they had little story synopses, and then of course there was the second book, which actually was a bit of a, a very small encyclopedia. So you could sort of flip through and start to look through. Oh, that's that's, uh, which again I guess starts to expand your knowledge a bit more. Mm. Um, but no, they they were absolute bibles really on the show for for a number of years, um, and, I, and I think they were something really. I mean that they, they reprinted them. Around the time the series ended, um, and, and they're probably something I, I think that most fans would have bought and then bought again. Mm. And, and probably I, I noticed now they've actually done a, an updated one now for the new series. I don't think it's by Laffizio, but um, uh, it's it's now they, they've done a program guide for mm. um, for the new stuff.
0: The Fissia's right. are still out there publishing.
1: Yeah? Um, they are. He um, he actually did. A, I've got one of his books I picked up which is a translation of Dr. Omega. Yes. Which which is uh, seen by some people as being one of the templates uh, or one of the, the uh, sources for Who. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, no, he, he's still out there. Well, that, that started out as a fan publication, the Program Guide. Um, he published that in a French magazine, and that came to... Was it Terence Dix? Uh, it might have come to some Terence Dix via somebody, but... Uh, so, uh Terence saw that and thought that was a wonderful thing because it had been published across several issues of whatever magazine it appeared in. And he thought that was a wonderful idea. So he actually passed it on to... <coughs> excuse me, he actually passed that on to Target. Um, and you should, you should publish this. I'm Terence Dix and you should publish this. <laughs> think how much money I've made you. But uh, you, you should publish this. And, and it did. It was a very, very uh, strong, very strong seller for them. I think it had sold a lot of the novels.
0: Well, you, and you can understand that, I suppose, because you, we would have now reached the stage where fans who grew up with the series in the 70s were now teenagers and looking for something a bit more than just the fiction of the show. And, and I suppose the advent of Doctor Who magazine helped
1: that as well, because that was once it got out of its weekly phase, I suppose. I guess so, because, well, Who... Uh, DWM, or what became it, was, was really... I mean, it's a glorified comic, really, in, in the early days... And that's really because they don't have an in. Uh, they really don't have an in with the production team. So um, we've got a license to do a who comic, but we don't really have any content. So what we can do is we can obviously get draw cartoons and we can tell stories, but we can't, um, you know. And, and you sort of see these um, little things appear, like there'd be a one page thing about one of the companions or a, a particular story, and it was pretty lightweight stuff. Uh, I mean, what what you then later get with you know these you've, Terrifically in-depth interviews, and then uh, Andrew Pixley's archive features. I'm still a long way off at that point, but um, yeah. So, but I guess again, it adds to the uh, adds to the enjoyment of the show, and 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 for being here in Australia, uh, of course, because we were so far behind. The magazines, quite often, I found, got out here before the stuff had been on TV. So, of course, they were a way to sort of get a bit of a jump. Um, I mean, I, I don't know why I never did, but I, I wasn't in fandom at the time, but I had a couple of friends who were. Uh, and I remember across the 80s reading um, the, the Sydney Club's data extract and, and the one, uh, Sonic Script over here in Melbourne. And they had these you know, these sections, News from England, when the new series was on, and they'd devote probably three quarters of the magazine to it. And it would all be printed in this tiny little font, uh, obviously, so they could cram it into the, to the, to the space. Um, and it was just it was story breakdowns and what happened in the new series and it started out with all these rumours, you know this story is going to be about this and all these things are quite often uh, way off target, <laughs> shall we say? Um, but then you got down in the series that actually screened uh, in England and then of course you get these. Uh, these, these detailed breakdowns of what happened in each story. And, and and I don't know, people never seemed to really care about spoilers, really, in those days. I think it was just, you know, it was understanding, I suppose, if you didn't want to know what happened, don't don't read it. It didn't have to be a, um, a structured thing about, you know, a spoiler alert or what have you. But, um, no, I, I think, uh, no, when particularly later, played a big part.
0: So the 80s come along, and is it a case that older fans... ...begin to get access to pr- production information from the BBC? Yeah. You say Jeremy Bentham's
1: and stuff like that. It, it is. The 80s, uh, you probably don't start to see the books happen t- until later 80s, early 90s maybe. But there, there, there is a bit of a trend, uh, I think, in the early 80s where... the uh, ...things start, the merchandise in general probably starts to skew a fraction older... Um, and it probably ties into to your point about, you know, the fans who have grown up in the 70s are now becoming teenagers. And, of course, maybe they're less interested in comics or uh, piddly little books or toys. They, they want something a bit more. So you start to see, on a, on a general level, um, you start to see things like the role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's role-playing games, there's metal miniatures, there's model kits, um, those sort of things that, as I said, are probably aimed at somebody a little bit older. And, and the books probably start to move to an extent in that they start there starts to be books for older fans written as well I mean the, the big impetus is, is obviously the 20th anniversary and you get uh, Peter Haining peers on the scene with his with his celebration book um, which is probably the first really big large format guide or, or reference work on the series I think at that point point. And, and we I guess we we sort of look back on Haining now with a bit of scorn because the, the material in there is probably not hugely accurate or a lot of it's just done from you know interviewing people. They're probably, I mean, look, there isn't the access at that point to, to the BBC's production information. So a lot of it's anecdotes or you know talking to to probably talking to fans as much as, as talking to people involved in the series. So, but for the time, they again were quite you know, probably about as good as it got, and they were quite popular books. And and indeed, you know, I I remember reading them with again. With a lot of fondness, I mean, I read uh, my copy of Celebration. I read that multiple times. I think over the next few years, Peter Hayning then goes on to, to sort of write more. I mean, he does. Um, I mean, he does Twenty Five Glorious Years, but um, he also does. Like, there's the Key to Time, and then he does um, the the Time Traveler's Diary, or, uh, the Time Traveler's Guide. Sorry, and then uh, there's there's books after that, which which probably you know sell sell less and less, maybe, but. Mm. Um, no, that, I, I remember them with a fair bit of fondness, because at the time, as I said, if, if you're sort of young and you're wanting to find out more about Doctor Who, that, that really is the only way to do it.
0: I mean, I remember uh, my parents had come down to Melbourne for a trip prior to Christmas, and they came home and they presented me with a pre-Christmas gift of the key to time. Oh, yeah. As yep. a as, as, uh, happenstance has it, I was in the garage uh, looking for some stuff this afternoon before I came around here, and there it was sitting in a drawer. And I flipped it open, and I was looking at it, and they bought it from Myers, which is a big department store here, for the princely sum of $27.95, which back in 80... was a lot of money. I mean, it's probably 70 or $80 now in, yeah. in, in, our, in our money. So, uh, And for for parents who had nothing but disinterest or disdain for Dr. Who, <laughs> it, uh, it was nice of them actually to buy, and I devoured that. I mean, I really... Yeah. It, it was... We look back, as you say, we look back now, and and there's inaccuracies and all that sort of thing. But fandom was a bit of a desert in terms of finding out the background to the show and to be able to look at, say, news clippings or reproductions of news clippings as he did, interviews and just sort of a diary format for the thing was a, was a great way of collating it. And that's what reference books do for fans. They collate information in a comprehensible it, it,
1: form. It does. Uh, I mean, there's other books come out around the same time that, that are also I mean, there's um, the good old technical manual. Um, Which I think was another staple Mm. uh, purchase, and and that was one. uh, I think that was obviously uh, uh, the ABC clearly were banking because they actually published that here under their own imprint. I'm looking at the copy now with the ABC's
0: old logo on the front of it. uh, That's
1: right. Which is, and
0: again, that's that's another book that my parents bought for me when in in on a a visit to a a larger country town for the princely sum of ten dollars, I think back then. Richard's just looking. I'm just going to do a bit of a uh, commentary here. Richard's just looking through it now.
1: It, it is. Yeah, the type uh, is very blue. It is, and look again. They're not. I mean, they're probably not hugely accurate now. But again, these some of these are probably the first. Um, I mean, there's some nice colour pictures in there of, of from a couple of different stories, like the Cybermen bursting out of the well. That would have been tomb. That would have been my first knowledge of, of picture, the, an image yeah, of
0: tomb. Tomb of the Cybermen's There, so. probably
1: that or from K9. And there's um, there's information there, like there's um, some quite nice pictures of, of of the Cybermen, Cybermats, giant robot.
0: Now, I mean, looking at it now with the the plethora of information on the internet, I mean, there's no aspect of Doctor Who that it goes un doesn't go uncovered. No, that's right. Uh, but for us back then, it's just a real font of information, isn't it? It it's, is, and, and a basic information. But with the absence of you know no video VHS releases or anything like that, um, it's great stuff. And the 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 image there, the o- o- iconic image of the Emperor Dalek, for instance, uh, just you know blew my tiny mind back yeah
1: that's right um i had no concept of the, the whole idea of you know evil of the daleks or, or what was going on in the trout era no well so there's no novel no nothing and i mean this is pre-audio pre-anything so really all you knew about evil of the daleks was that that they sort of captured kidnapped i think captured the tardis kidnapped and they well wind up on scarrow um i think it's got obviously some time travel aspects to it but um i mean i knew nothing about that all power for for years
0: who, um, who wrote the technical
1: manual? A chap called Mark Harris. Is, no, that was a British publication, it wasn't it? Um, it was. Do um, we know what then, happened
0: to Mark Harris by any chance? Uh, well,
1: he actually later comes back and he did the original Build the Tardis book. Oh. If you remember that, it was a press out book that actually has, um, yeah, you know, actually if you pause for two seconds. Oh, I'll just commentate this.
0: Richard has just leapt off the couch and he's wandering around his own house. Going into his fortress of solitude. No, he's come back now. Oh, <laughs> hang on. Here we go. <laughs> there you go. So that, this is it. That, that is actually, it's, unfortunately, it's missing the very top of the this light. Is, this is fantastic radio, but <laughs> what we're looking at is the pressed out TARDIS. Is
1: that right? <laughs> that, is, that is a pressed out cardboard TARDIS. That's from the late 80s. And that was the, I think the next thing he did, which was, yeah, it's basically a press out cardboard TARDIS model. Age has not wearied it, I can just say. No, I've had that um, because the one, uh, this is getting a bit sad, but um, for Australian fans, I mean. We're talking about Doctor Who reference points, Richard. (laughs) (laughs) We can't (laughs) go any lower than this. (laughs) (laughs) You, uh, I mean, you would remember uh, the show bag. Yes. Um, and for anyone who wasn't Australian, at a lot of the um, a lot of the, the large fairs now here, which were technically agricultural shows, they used to have show bags. Now, they started out as little sample bags, but later on, they started to put merchandise in them, and they became licensed properties. So you could buy like a superhero one that had a heap of superhero crap in it. Um, and for a couple of years, they did a Doctor Who one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and in the Doctor Who one, and apparently the UK collectors paid big money for the uh, the, the, the show bag because there's nothing like that in, in uh, British collecting circles but um, there was actually a little press out like a, a um, cardboard box TARDIS that, that came in that uh, was, uh, I think it was actually presented as a mobile um, and you had that and I had that for a few years it sat on the shelf but this has survived several house moves um, that that's probably about 25 years old, more now, mm. um, and that survived several house moves and everything. It's just sat on top of a bookshelf. Well, the only thing that happened is, unfortunately, I've lost the top off the light. But if um
0: if anyone does have their own and would like to give up their light for Richard, forty uh, two the doomsday at gmail you'll make an old fan very happy, I think. <laughs> So there you go. There's a cardboard TARDIS. And we know someone who's got at least two show bags, don't we, Richard? We, we do. And he's in the next suburb across. He so. is. He is. So we're <laughs> going to do a raid there later on. <laughs> Mark's in Wigan and we'll be uh, raiding a suburb in Melbourne. And uh, he's um, he's our friend has uh, knocked back a number of offers, hasn't he? He has, actually. UK collectors. He, yes,
1: uh, certain UK and, and local collectors. He, oh, he right. was offered large sums of money.
0: All, all I say to our friend is you can't take it with you sell it now and spend the money
1: well I mean look I guess maybe what you can do is when you do pass you can just have Viking style you can just be laid out on a bed of collectibles and then you have to have people keeping the uh, keeping the scavengers at bay while they light the ship while while they light it then push you out into the river
0: well, that's one way to go. Now back to reference books. Yes. So uh, T, uh ascends to the to godhood as the producer to the throne, and he sees immediately
1: the uh, the monetary value of he, you know monetizing Doctor Who. Um, he he does. Well, one thing actually before we jump onto that, um, around the twentieth anniversary, there is um there was also a twentieth anniversary, uh, Radio Times done, which again was was published here by um again published here uh, there was a, an Australian edition published here through the ABC. Um, and, and it follows a, a similar sort of thing to the to the, um, to the 10th anniversary one there's, there's some interviews in it there's a story breakdown um, it, it's got um, Eric Sayward I think wrote a fiction piece for it um, which had Susan as, as some uh, time lord uh, time lady uh, escapee or something I think no. hidden the Doctor's TARDIS oh yes it had the Master and Sidman in it. I don't. I don't actually remember much more about it. I but, I make it. Oh, no, I did make the TV, didn't the Sidman so, Master?
0: Anyway, <laughs> um, was that compiled by Ann Levine? Was uh, he in
1: certainly did the history, the series history stuff for mm-hmm. it. And I think that's one of his probably. Well, I don't know if it's his first foray into, into working with JNT, but certainly he he compiled a lot of the um uh, a lot of the history of the series stuff. And, and a joke there, it was actually, I noticed that I think the actual editor of it was someone called Gay Search. Now, for years, I thought that was a euphemism <laughs> or or a, or a non-diplume for somebody, but I've since discovered that is actually, she is actually a real person. Gay Search. Gay Search. Oh, that's
0: interesting.
1: Yeah. and I don't know the was Gay just... Search story, but... I would imagine she was just hired to do it. I suppose. Oh, I would imagine yeah. so. I'm assuming she was obviously a journalist of some yeah. description. But uh, yeah, no, apparently there is actually a real person called Gay Search. So, <laughs> we'll see if that makes the final <laughs> edit. Yeah, let's let's see if this
0: stays in. Uh, all right, so we're out of out of the 70s now into the 80s. We've got big fat reference
1: books that are starting to come out via Pe- uh, Peter Hanning, who was a he just loved anthologizing. We stuff. we did, and and we do get into the J and T. What we can probably call the J and T book era. Um. Well, it is. I mean, look, he realises that, that, you know, merchandising Doctor Who is obviously a way to keep the money rolling in. Mm -hmm. And, look, he... Some of the books that come out... uh, I mean, he writes a couple of... Ordinary is probably a nice word that we could use. Then there's uh, the TARDIS Inside Out, um, and then there's one on the Companions, and they are very, very light. Is the Inside Um, Out book... uh, a
0: Based around the visitation?
1: Um, no, it's the one. Uh, it's his personal recollections of, uh-huh. of working with the the, the actors who, who were the Doctor. So there, uh, it, it's very light. Uh-huh. Um, and then he does uh, the companions, which again is is the companions. And I think he skips as Zoe, I think, altogether. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, Ben is Ben travelled in the TARDIS with Polly, and that's it. Nothing. nothing. <laughs> Not even what stories he appeared in. Yeah. <laughs> um, Do we know if those were ghostwritten, or did he actually put people in well, Gary Downey in if, the background if, dictating? If, if, oh, I was going to say, if they were ghostwritten, that's, <laughs> that, that is appalling. Yeah. <laughs> um, that sort of, you know, obviously, he just gave me a reference pictures, perhaps and somebody had to make up a story but out it, of those. It,
0: but it is interesting that the producer of the show, and this is one of the common complaints about J&T, that he seemed to be distracted by convention appearances in the UK, US or the UK, or other things like these books. Uh, it's interesting that the producer saw it. Yeah, saw, saw it. That he, he would, you know, fill that need.
1: It, it is. I mean, we get we get all sorts of other stuff too. I mean, there's obviously if everyone remembers the pattern book, and and I do actually have that in the bookshelf in the other room. But uh, if you want to put some pictures up on the, on the on the blog site, but, <laughs> can can you, can you knit me a scarf, please, Richard? <sighs> the the one that gets me. I think I've mentioned this before. Is the bike he's actually sitting on a bulldozer. And he's wearing like work boots and work pants and he's wearing a Doctor Who a Doctor Who jumper with a sprig of celery attached to it. No, knowing work sites, he probably only wore that for a couple
0: of hours and then... You know, oh, if that. <laughs> and then became part of the foundations. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so is is the 80s the era where we start to see fans contributing to these sort of things?
1: It is, because it's, it's probably the age of the fan publication, I, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, there's um. John Peel uh, in the US starts writing his season guides and his episode guides. I only ever had a couple of those. I remember they, the couple of the special shops here had them. I don't. I don't think they would have been available outside of that. There's those. I mean, the, the first probably really big fan-produced thing is um, is David Banks's Cybermen book, uh, which is later 80s or was it even early 90s but uh which is uh, he uh, creates his own um his own publishing company called silver uh well, was actually silver fist and and i think who dares was the publishing arm um i think from memory because he did um he did those little tapes about um he went and did his whole uh, i think he had some input from from a couple of fans but um he wrote his whole uh timeline of the Cyberman stories and and how he saw all the stories fitting together. Uh, And then um, he wrote all this stuff around the origins of the Cybermen and and the development of the Cybermen. They were released as audios um, there, plus when he was running around with um, the, the, this is getting off tangent a bit, but uh, when he was around with the Ultimate Adventure a little later, um, he then published the the tapes he interviewed uh, John Pertwee um, and Colin Baker, and I think he went on to interview a few other people later on, but produce those, but the, the the book he put out um, was the Cybermen book, which is this very large, very large, very glossy book. And and for the time, this was actually quite an impressive book because it was printed on really high quality paper. Um, and there's it goes through, and there's like lots of full color artwork plates in there, plus these images, uh, some vague images from some of the stories. Uh, who's like,
0: the uh, Who's the illustrator? Is a Pearson.
1: Um, it would uh, illustrate Andrew Skilleter. Andrew um, did a lot of the plates. I and mean, I'm assuming there's probably copyright issues, maybe with some of the um, using maybe a heap of images from uh, from the series. But there's certainly um, there's certainly images there from a lot of the stories. Like there's uh, a montage here we're looking at, uh, which is largely from the invasion.
0: And this um, does the interesting thing of crossing over between factual and fictional, where it makes the fiction of the story, the fiction of Doctor Who, a
1: work of you know fact. As, yes. if it, as if it's a, a real life history isn't it it does um, and it has um, it has his whole section about how he does that but then then you sort of go along um, which is the behind the scenes mm. um, of you know and there's the, the standard photos of um, them helping the fallen over 10th planet Cyberman and, and uh, the lady became Michael Craze's wife fixing up the costume on one of them oh. uh, that's, that's, uh, well, for, 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 that's that lady there uh, Edwina Verner. Uh, I think was her name. Is Edwyn still with us? Uh, no, she actually went the same way as Ben. Know, uh, Michael, Michael, Crouch. I don't, I don't think quite the same way as Michael. But uh, <laughs> see if
0: that makes the final edit as yes, well. Yes, <laughs>
1: uh, he he had a heart attack and fell down the stairs. Oh, I was a heart attack. Yeah, I thought uh, he just fell down the stairs and knocked his head. No, I think he actually had a heart attack and fell down the stairs. No, that's very. I'm, I'm tipping this won't make the final edit. Oh, so. look, it might. It might. <laughs> uh, no, I think she actually passed one a little long after him. Okay, but uh, yeah. So then there's a section here on on. Basically, how on how each of the stories were done, and his obviously later on his recollections of working on uh, working on the later stories, mm-hmm. and then you sort of go into I mean, Jerry Davis I think has written a piece at the back here, but um, this this for the time was a was a very glossy and well presented book. It took me uh, 1988 actually. There you go, first publication. I remember sending away for this because I saw it in DWM, and I remember waiting. Months, I think, before I got it, so I, I obviously was uh, general trying to get enough orders up to get a print run together, perhaps. But um, and I, I'd actually actually probably written it off uh, by the time it arrived. But uh, no, this 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 was a, I remember actually reading this cover to cover several times. This this was a great book for for the time.
0: And the eighties is full of similar landmark books. I mean, there's Bentham's uh, the early years. That's right. Um, tell us a little bit about Bentham and and something and a book like that.
1: Well, I, I guess they came through, I mean, DWAS, uh, I, I think most of those books were, were, through, um, were through the Doctor Who Appreciation Society and its members. And, of course, they had a fairly extensive or were compiling a fairly extensive reference library that they used to, uh, I, I think, they used to make faction sheets. And, of course, uh, the, the very earliest, um, the very early, what became envisioned uh, I think first saw light of day during the late '80s. I think mid to late '80s, because yep. uh, was Cybermark Services. I think was was they originally imprinted under, um, and they did a lot of the Hartnell and Troughton stories, um, and I believe a lot of that I think was again sourced from from Duass's own uh, own reference library. So I guess them compiling that and, and publishing that in book form probably was was really just you know par for the course. Mm. Uh, I guess. Uh, at that point, I mean, there really isn't a lot of fan publishing happening per se. It was probably more done through the club. So um, I would imagine you'd probably get either a perfect band or, or a stapled, like one of those A5 stapled little booklets, I, I would have thought. I mean, I, I must admit, look, I never purchased any of them, I would imagine. But, I mean, you, you get into the late 80s and probably across the 90s is, is really, I guess, when the fans probably start to drive a lot of the publishing I think from then on, because uh, the BBC, obviously, uh, again, you you get into the later eighties, and and with the general, I guess, perception of the series, there isn't a lot of merchandise, sort of McCoy era, contemporary merchandise, and that's, I mean, the target range continues, but um, that there isn't an awful lot of McCoy, contemporary McCoy type merchandise, and and the books really follow that as well. I mean, look, nobody, the publishers clearly don't want to. You know, I'm interested in taking part in the book. I mean, even the, the something like the annuals that had, that had been a staple. For for twenty odd years, once you sort of get to the hiatus, they decide that the Colin Baker one they do doesn't doesn't sell. Probably is that a black mark against. Yeah, Colin, it's probably it? probably something else uh, Colin can be a bit upset about. But um, well, as long as there's a pole not printed
0: next to it, it'll be all right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, but that one doesn't sell, and and when they get the hiatus, they they just decide look they're not going to bother renewing the the, the the contract. So that that's really the end of those, and and there's not really a lot. Published. so it's it's not really yeah until you get into to probably the, the early 90s and again look you've probably got the driver of the 30th anniversary it starts to, to make people sit up and take notice again and of course you then start to get a lot of couple um, more large format books but they're starting to be written by fans that the one of the standouts probably from the, the early 90s is is uh, how Stammers Walker released the 60s
0: mm. can we can I just pause uh, this? Yeah. Oh, no no not to pause but just ask. At about issue one hundred and eighty of DWM, mm. it changed its coverage of the series. I think the archives by Pixley sort of really ramped up at that point. Could you say that what was happening in DWM was helping to feed through fans coming along with with books like this?
1: Quite probably, because I, I guess you probably, I guess you start to get, and, and Virgin maybe are are the big exponent of this, but you you start to get, I, I think publishers perhaps start to realize that, that a, a there are fans who can write um, as opposed to you know just just being fans um, there are actually fans who can write decent prose um, and also that the fans have a lot of knowledge that, that can be quickly applied to a book I guess maybe as opposed to a, to an actual, professional writer who's got to go and research and write stuff. I guess if you want to make a Doctor Who publication and you can find a fan who can write um, you can pretty much bypass that the research phase um, or a large portion of it um, particularly if you're somebody you know who's got an extensive reference library uh, reference a lot of reference material to draw on um, so you can start doing those and and the I guess it also been uh, fan publishers from the late 80s there was um the original the frame magazine because the fans start to get more professional with with the magazines and and publications they're putting out um as printing obviously becomes more accessible um so you have a magazine like the frame um which in terms of content probably rivals dwm and in some ways is probably better than dwm in terms of the people they're interviewing and, and some of the stuff they're putting they're putting in there and it's very glossy and it's full of colour pictures and, and, you know, it's got a nice nice presentation. It's probably not newsstand, new stand perhaps. But um, so that sort of experience I guess exists in fandom as well. Um, And of course they ultimately go on and become really, that's the seeds of probably Telos later on. So
0: and as you were saying before, I think it's the seeds of the of the, the years, the decades book, sorry, the 60s, 70s, Yeah,
1: there's, there's oh, well, they're probably, they really set the standard, I, I think, for what comes after. Because uh, they, they are a marked leap forward from the Peter Haining books. So
0: Richard's uh, just um, grabbed a copy of the 60s hardcover. And I've just been looking at something that I didn't notice in the, in watching the dialects where the. Um, uh, one of the, the, the Thales appears to have... Uh, they have whole of the cutouts in their pants. Arseless chaps <laughs> uh, on their legs. So that's interesting. So, uh, yeah, so the uh, the genesis of the, the Decades books
1: uh, is is the frame, isn't it, really? I, I would argue, yes, I think. That that certainly sets them on their way. And it shows that you can do publications like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, these, these really do set the... There's, the those, time.
0: Um, there's those clips of um, those photos of Sarah Kingdom dying we were emailing Yes, we were actually about. talking
1: about the other day. Yeah, so An-
0: Another companion to die on screen, new series fans. <laughs> yeah, so they set the scene, basically, didn't they? The, that they film? do.
1: I mean, they set the tone for what comes after. I mean, there's a lot of other books come out. I mean, there's, um, there's Time Frame, which is sort of more a visual, uh, probably, history of the series. Then, of course, there's the little... Um, uh, and again, it's it's uh, how Stammer's Walker do uh, their books on each of the individual doctors, the little handbooks um, through Virgin. They also put out, and that's later again, but uh, they also put out like a big, massive, big, thick program guide book, which is done. And uh, one, one, I must admit, I spent a lot of time reading and rereading and have reread numerous times over the years. Um, Paul Cornell and friends do the Discontinuity Guide, yes. which um, is, is probably a slightly more irreverent look perhaps of the series because that's got things in it like bloopers and, and mm. um, they also look at you know uh, what the section they call fashion victims like for, for crappy costumes and that sort of stuff but again that's another uh, another fan publication and of course uh, I guess because perhaps because you've got numbers of fan writers because most of these are through Virgin mm. and I guess perhaps because you've got numbers of fan writers writing for um, writing for the new and missing adventures ranges mm-hmm. well there's a bit of crossover there isn't it? well there is and, and I guess there's a, a you know an thing we we'll, you know, you, you find a fan uh, who can obviously write as I said decent you know, non-fiction so yeah you put them to work
0: so the for you anyway the, 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 the big tentpole um, books in the 90s which are largely written by fans are these decades books are books like the discontinuity
1: guide I, I think so um, I mean look, you, you probably the argument the thing you can probably argue with the 90s is it, it's the start you get fans writing but it's also they write Books that they want would want to read themselves. I, I think is probably the, the the key to it. So um, you can probably say, and I mean, look, the '60s is a very nice coffee table book. It's not terrifically in depth. I mean, look, it doesn't. Um, it's, it doesn't. It, it's not pages and pages of facts and figures. But it has. It's a very good overview of the era. It's also moves sort of off the screen because there's a lot of stuff in there about merchandising. Um, how it was done, you know, Doctor Who in comics, that sort of thing. I mean, the old uh, talks about the movies. One would one would assume that all the merchandising,
0: uh, the photos of merchandising, uh, comes from David Howe's personal collection. Uh, have-
1: David Howe, another fan's collection. Yeah, I do. Um, I do know some of the Dalek stuff uh, came. Oh, I can't remember what the bloke's name is. There's a very big uh, bloke who, who only collects Dalek merchandise, um, and and I know some of the um, some some of the Dalek stuff there is, is, is from his collection. But um, yeah it's it's all fan owned stuff because again look who else who really owns would own a collection of Doctor Who toys other than than a fan so um so that that probably is one of the big ones I mean you, you have others too I mean there's um the, there's the, there's the Adrian, uh, Adrian Rigglesford uh, Doctor's book which which sort of skips season eighteen completely so there's those and then there's a book um, there's uh, the book on the companions. Uh, which has that picture of Nicola Bryant in it? That picture, yes. That picture, yes. yes. Uh, I, I think. Uh, How did one, that
0: picture get through? Well,
1: I, I mean, it's a very nice picture. Yes, but you know, uh, I mean, did she
0: I, I, not have final say on having that? Uh, well, picture? you would have thought so, but mm. I mean, I, I know. She,
1: I, well, I know she has said look, she was very young, and I mean, I it, was her first acting job, and no, I mean, that's she, true. But um, to allow that to be reprinted yes yeah, so I would have thought so. I mean, one of the uh, reviews did say that the best thing about, the, probably the worst thing about that book was it was too heavy to hold in one hand. But uh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> but uh, look again. I mean, aside from the Nicola content look there was some there was some good stuff in there, and then of course you get probably more slightly off screen. So you have um, there's uh, how does He's monster book, which again is is um, part fact, part fiction. Um, because you have a lot of you know, sort of made-up history, perhaps of the Ice Warriors on Mars, mm. and I think there's a history of the Sontarans or something in there as well, which is probably yeah, not, not, not really based on what you see on screen. In the internet era, it's easy to forget that books
0: like these were effectively bibles for fans. It, is it worthwhile fans uh, hunting books these books down from the nineties? Do they still hold their value in terms
1: of you know uh, scholarship in a sense um, and readability? I think the nineties ones probably do. Um, I think the '60s, '70s, and '80s are still are still good books even now. I mean, they're there for, for a general Doctor Who book. If you want about the '60s, that would be an excellent place to start. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, then if you want to move, you know, you want to get onto the hard stuff, yeah. uh, there are probably other books you can then move on to. But uh, no, I think they're excellent books. I, and I think probably the '80s ones now probably have little value. But
0: I was just going to say the variability in quality and approach in the '80s is quite high there's, as you said there's the pattern book and the cooking book and, and the inside oh, out the and all that car, are quite bad and then you sort of get a little bit higher value in terms of production wise and coverage like celebration key to time that sort of thing whereas in the 90s the quality of the writing the standard is, is, is sort of fairly
1: at an even level um, it is and I think most of the books are um, most of them are well written as I said they're, they're, they are they are Arguably, that the, the given its fans writing most of them, it is the kind of fans writing the kind of books they would want to read themselves. Mm-hmm. So they probably do go that extra mile in terms of you know fact checking and making sure stuff in there is correct. I mean, we, we sort of get into probably into the later 80s. I mean, with there's um, there's those two classic uh, what they call classic who, um, which is the the Hinchcliffe years and the and the um, the Graham Harper ones I think which were quite good. Then uh, Sophie and, and Mike Tucker do their Ace book. Mm-hmm. Um, which again is, is sort of their personal recollections perhaps of, of having worked on the stories they worked on on the series. Um, you, you also start to get uh, sort of behind the series stuff like I think uh, Lance, uh, Lance Parkin publishes his first history of the universe. Uh, I think in the late and uh, probably I think it's sort of mid-90s I think. Uh, which, which is his attempt obviously at putting a chronology together. And and like the
0: the decades books, that springs out of articles in Scarrow present. Fanzine, uh, it does, it?
1: and a lot of it's it's fanzine stuff. Um, and I, I suppose look going back to your to your John Prettle podcast, I mean, I, I think a lot of his stuff was probably stuff we'd written for TSV, mm. um, a fair bit of it. So you know, you start to compile it into book form. I mean, you, you then start to get perhaps into more specialized stuff like there's um the book uh, the the enth, uh, what is it's called the enth Doctor, uh, which is sort of.
0: Of been
1: yeah, really, it is. Um, it's sort of the unmade, uh, unmade films or unmade attempts to revive the series. Uh, I mean, look, stuff like The Dark Dimension, the full story that probably doesn't come out until much later. And and I guess when we get into 2000s, um, I, I will have to come back to, to nothing at the end of the lane. Um, which which I uh, and, and they've just actually released a new one, so which I've got if you want to have oh, I got it as well. I have it, very good.
0: Um, and the first thing I noticed was that they misspelled regeneration on the front cover,
1: Bonner. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. So you have books like that, and you start to get you start to get lists. Um, you also start to get people. Uh, probably the first, perhaps biographies or recollections of people starting to work on the series. Um, one one thing actually I didn't mention they're not really reference books per se, but, but from the probably mid '80s onwards, um, you start to have uh, real time uh, start to do their uh, Myth Makers series, which which is uh, again probably some of the first access if you like to people who appeared in the series or worked on the series so he does a lot of he does a lot of companions um he does a number of behind the scenes people um and and look they obviously were specialist productions and had to be either ordered directly from real time um there was actually a couple of places here that sold them for a while they were you know, a, a way probably to, to get access perhaps to the to the personalities of the show without having to um fly over to the UK for a convention
0: because
1: mm. I mean I guess being here in Australia uh, conventions with guests were, were probably few and far between particularly sort of in the, in the 80s early 90s I mean that the I remember going up to Sydney and that was a you know major undertaking to go up to Sydney to, to see uh, Mary Tam and then we went up and saw Liz Sladen and that, that was you know I mean that, that sort of became the, the weekend away really so with the... you the had a kiss of death for those two were you? <laughs> 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 yeah well uh no, they were both very good weekends. We would have had, uh, I mean, we very nearly had Sophie here in Melbourne once, and then we did have Sophie here in Melbourne later on. But, uh, yeah, but uh, I mean, I, I, I particularly, as I said, being here in Australia, um, anything involving guests was was a major undertaking. So most conventions did, didn't have guests. I mean, they really, you just, you know, sat there and rejoiced in your love of Doctor Who with, with other fans. No, so they, they, those real-time things were away. Um, to get access. And, and, of course, that all adds probably to the, um, the the mythos, if you like, or the collective knowledge of, of about the series.
0: Now, we were saying before that the books from the 70s and the 80s were a bit hard to come by. Most of them. Most of them. By, or some by, of them. By the 90s, and I was working in a, in a genre bookshop in the middle, mid-90s, so these things were sort of raining down every time a shipment came in from the UK. But they were more widely available, weren't they? I mean, I remember picking up the, uh, the, the role-playing game that came out <laughs> Uh, from just a, just a general bookshop. So you yeah. used to see, you know, obviously the the New Adventures and the Virgin books and all that sort of thing, the fiction side was widely available. But in terms of the reference books, other than a few genre outlets, did you recall seeing them anywhere else?
1: During the 80s, certainly yes. I, I think a lot of general bookshops, I mean, you, your parents obviously got you, you one from Maya. Mm. And I mean, I, I remember walking into general bookshops and buying... Uh, well the technical manual I think came from you know just the local bookshop mm. and what have you I, I think probably once you get into the I, I do remember seeing some of them in just generic shops I remember we picked up remember picking up a couple of the the, the classic Who ones I think it was the Hinchcliffe one that, that was actually in a book clearance place what that says about maybe the uh... <laughs> that was I wasn't going to say. <laughs> yeah, well, what, yeah, what, what that says about maybe the publication history of it, I mm. don't know. No, they they start to become probably more specialised and and probably more specialised shops. Um, I think once you get away probably from the thirtieth anniversary. For the thirtieth anniversary, because you know, obviously Doctor Who's big and people are paying a lot of attention to it. Um, so, of course, there's, being callous, there's probably a buck to be made by general book, book retailers. Well, they're not going to release these books unless there is
0: a buck to be made, really. Real, no, not, not really.
1: So, of course, you know, it's probably worth their while for, for your local generic bookshop to bring them in. But I think once you start to get into the later 90s and the more specialised books, no, they, they tend to become genre, genre places only.
0: Speaking of reference works, could
1: we say that this is the era or the decade that InVision comes into its own? I, I think so. It is. I mean, InVision... In, in some ways it, it probably because um, I mean it expands it becomes a lot more detailed and again it's probably because there's a lot more research being done there's a lot more access now to the BBC's records um, and, do, you, do you know anything about
0: how this access became more widely available is it Cavisham where, where all the production notes are kept uh,
1: I think so whether it's the BBC's attitude perhaps to, to the series maybe changes because there's obviously that, that thing during the 80s where, you know, the, the fans are really the unwanted, uh, unloved. I mean, we're quite happy to take their cash, but they're, they're really the unloved and unwanted, I, I think, because, of course, they start to openly criticise what decisions you make on the show. They want J&T gone. Um, during the hiatus, there's, there's that thing where they... um well, so the story goes, they, they were forced, they were actually were going to cancel who... And were forced to back down when they discovered that there were going to be fans dressed as cybermen and that wandering around you know near number 10 downing street which of course you know is a major source of embarrassment mm. so um so they, then it suddenly it's, it's not a cancellation it's just being rested <laughs> uh, <laughs> for an extended period so i guess once the series ends uh, and you know people the dust has settled a bit perhaps um, or it's just quietly sl- I, I don't actually think it's, it's probably a big cancel it's more just quietly just allowed to quietly
0: die I think on the So it when the BBC it quietly applied the pillow to the face of fandom <laughs>
1: on the face of d I think really yes. <laughs> more perhaps but uh, perhaps more but uh, you know the, their attitude probably changes so uh, it becomes more a curiosity perhaps and and, and once it's not actively in production, of course, it belongs to the ages. So you're more happy with people perhaps wandering through your, mm. wandering through your archives. Plus, of course, by that point, there'd obviously been a lot of fan knowledge and just general general consciousness or general knowledge of the series compiled up just from rewatching repeats. Of course, because once the show goes out of production, what are you left with? You you have to sort of start digging back through the past. I think a bit. Mm. Uh, obviously, to, to, you know, to try and find something new to say about what's happened before.
0: Well, it's unsurprising, I suppose, that with the virgin fiction books, where fandom sort of takes control of the show, in a sense, in mm. the fiction side of it, that uh, you'd have your fan researchers, your bignals, your pixleys, your molesworths, all these fellows, uh, and it's almost exclusively fellows, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, which might say something about the male mind, um, who are getting right into it and, and oh, I mean... in, in, in a way appropriating the series for themselves. And packaging it for fans in a, in a fan-friendly manner.
1: Um, in, in, in a way, yes. You, you, you could probably make that argument. I mean, there's always that thing, I've been mean, talking about more the fiction side of it, that, that the new adventures had sort of become a, a fairly a clique, really, or a club by, by the end of their run. Yes. Um, the writers who were, you know, writing for that, and, and the BBC, I mean, arguably, when they took the range back, obviously broke that up somewhat. And and look, I, I would imagine, I mean, you, you start to have, obviously, your acknowledged experts... Uh, on the show, come forward. I mean, uh, and and look, that's probably testament to, as well to to. The, the quality of what's coming because let's face it i mean you all now know if you read edited by or written by andrew pixley mm. you you know what you're going to get and you know it's going to be pretty top quality
0: well before we emerge blinking into the 21st century it's unfair to rank people but i mean andrew pixley is the preeminent researcher and writer about doctor who
1: well, i think he's pre- a number and, of programs and i was just going to say <laughs> i was just
0: going to say and he has branched out i mean he's written about the the avengers he's written about the goodies he's written about Doctor Who he has, he's, written, he's done a fantastic book on Callum, Callum yeah believe. which
1: I've just the, Callan the Red File um, mm. that, that's a great book I've not long finished reading that that's an excellent book the, the goodies one the goodies one actually is probably too much information it is uh, a remarkable document isn't it I mean that's a almost phone book size just about that thing yep. and that, that's a that's a remarkable book I, I mean look they clearly kept a lot of information um, about the series and they obviously we'll, we'll two of them anyway are obviously quite happy to talk about mm. it so Um, If you're a bird, Bill will talk to you (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's Well, I I know, having been involved with the Goodies Club I mean, we uh, always found him probably the most difficult of the three to to really do anything with For understandable reasons, I suppose Uh, Yeah, I I, I think so History.
0: Um, But but back to Pixley, I mean um, his online persona is a a fellow who's unfailingly polite, unfailingly giving um, just a wonderful, wonderful chap
1: really Oh, very much so. Uh, I mean, look, he has a remarkable knowledge and and, and clearly a remarkable repository of, oh. uh, of of information at his disposal. Maybe I should ring Mark up and say, "Don't go to Wigan, go to." Yeah, uh... <laughs> go to where, go to wherever he is.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, and we we sort of. I was driving here and I was thinking, well, it is research about Doctor Who, and it's not it's not anything that's useful in life. Like it's not reading a book about how to strip an engine or anything like that, or no. build a house, but. Uh, there is value in this in a sense, isn't it? It's 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 cultural history, it's it's history, basically.
1: It, it is. And, and and
0: the BBC is an important institution and Doctor Who is an important show within the history of the BBC. Well,
1: it is. It is. I mean, look, if I wanted to be snarky, I could say, look, I know fans who's probably having a knowledge of Doctor Who's their one uh, one claim of a life skill. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> but other than
0: that, I mean, you, you could go into Mastermind, as some people have. But, I mean... But not no, not to be you know smart assish about it. it. It, it, I mean, pulling out these books and having a look at it is is a is a is a gateway to the past. Yes, it is. Um, and all right, some of them have failings, like the books in the eighties and all that sort of thing. But it's a, it's a it's a window on a particular mindset of a particular time period, isn't it?
1: Um, it, it is. And look, there's still a lot of interest in. Television, older television. I mm. mean, you only have to look. I mean, again, look. You can probably argue that it's a, a you know a niche section of the community that actually care about fifty year old black and white TV. But for for that section, who do care about that? Um, having a resource whereby you can uh, relive maybe your childhood or go back and reminisce about the good old days. You know when. Uh, <laughs> When something like Callan was was probably one of the best shows on TV, or or Doctor Who, or the Goodies, or any of those, having a, a a source of knowledge on that is is comfort. Not comfort's probably not the right word, but um, it it does add to your enjoyment and your memories of it. Being able to find, I mean, look, you think of anything you like. If you find somebody else who shares your obsession, mm. that that's a red letter day for most people.
0: That's true. Oh, that's true. I mean. Uh, A story like, say, the Space Museum might be as dull as Dishwater, but being able to find out what was going on during the production cycle of it enlivens at no end, I suppose. It it, it
1: does, and and I guess you you have two things. I mean, you sort of maybe work out why certain things were done a certain way, plus, obviously, you you get some of the -the behind-the-scenes stories um, and you realise, well, you know, that clearly was a very difficult production because Mm. X made it difficult, be that a person or an event, or... These, you know, they, they couldn't do it because of, you know, they, they had to do it this way because of this. Yeah. Um, so that, that probably helps your understanding of the series as well, perhaps. Though,
0: having said that,
1: some of these books, because of their inaccuracies or
0: slants, have helped perpetuate or did help perpetuate certain fan myths. Like The Gunfighters was the most hated episode Story that, and, over, yeah. that um, William Hartnell during the mythmakers demonstrated his anti being an anti semite and a homophobe alleg- allegedly. Allegedly, no, the dead can't sue, but <laughs> allegedly.
1: But I mean, these things linger for twenty or thirty years. They do because, uh, of course, it's in print, mm. and of course, people read it, and and that becomes knowledge. You know that that becomes your, your baseline knowledge. So yeah. it is, and and that's why, you know, some of the the qual- more quality books. Um, perhaps are important because they go some way towards redressing that, um, redressing that and setting the record straight, maybe.
0: Before we leave the 90s,
1: which books for you
0: still stand the test of time?
1: So, certainly the, the 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, I, I still think, that as, as I said a few minutes ago, I think they're still great entry books for people. For me, personally, I, I still uh, look through the discontinuity guide on occasion. I, I must admit, I, I find that quite an entertaining read, uh, for some particularly if you're watching... You can watch a story and just quickly whip out, you know, what bloopers to look out for, mm. or whatever. Probably my other one from the era, and it's right at the end, is, um, is Howe's Transcendental Toy Box, which I think probably just sneaks into the 1990s, mm-hmm. I think. Probably very early 2000s. But um, as somebody who was collecting and, and indeed distributing merchandise at the time, that, that book was a, was a godsend. Um, really I, I mean look we probably didn't uh, I, I know there was a fair bit of um, program or whatever you want to call it with, with maybe some of his ideas on pricing but uh, I, I mean as, as the book makes out eBay really isn't a, to, to an extent really isn't a good price guide so you probably have to set a value on it some other way mm. um, I mean look you know I know there were a lot of people who you know used it to, to go and price their collections um, and then were extremely disappointed when uh, they didn't bring anything like what the, the guide said they should have but uh, well, that's what's got the word guide in it so well that that's right and and you know and I mean the, <sighs> Some, some stuff just really doesn't retain its value, but um, despite, you know, what, what a dealer will tell you. But that, that book was... Uh, and again, because it, it detailed a lot, particularly if you were an avid collector, it detailed a lot of the 60s merchandise, and there was quite a bit of information in there about some of the early stuff that, that probably wasn't widely known. I mean, the, the, big, the interesting thing with that was because uh, David Howard had been asking for, I think, 18 months... Uh, before he published the first edition for people, you know, if you've got anything that you think's rare or you want, I'm looking for, this is the areas I'm interested in. And, and he's putting it around everywhere. I want all this stuff. And then, of course, he got what he thought was, a, the, obviously, all the responses he was going to get, published the book, and then spent probably the next 12 months just feeling, oh, you missed this, you missed this, you missed this. And, and of course, he was like, well, you know, where were you when I was asking for it? And, I mean, look, i I him some, some stuff that, that, that wasn't in the first edition. Um, probably some, some local Australian stuff, and a couple of things he wasn't aware of. So the second edition comes out about a year later, which which is far more in depth. And, and since then, there's been a few updates published. But that 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 was one. Um, I got a lot of lot of value out of that book when that came out.
0: Did has he did release one uh, in relation to the new series merchandise? Because there's a tsunami of that stuff. In um, the last 10 years.
1: I believe he has been working on one. Mm. I don't know where it is. Surely it'd have to be multiple volumes. Oh, you? I think so. I mean, look, you you could probably do. I think the very last update to Toy Box, I think, has the earliest, uh, has the Eccleston and earliest David Tennant stuff. I think, from memory. But I think there were, there were three updates. I must go. Right, I don't have the last one, but I, I think it's as I say, got the very first lot of new series stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, that, that, would be a, that would be an enormous book, I, I think, as you're right, because particularly when David Tennant comes along, mm. there there is just a, a, an absolute... It's, yeah.
0: why, why were there never any David Tennant underpants? <laughs> Does anyone know? Because Tom Baker had his face splashed on him, not that I ever had a pair, but...
1: Ah, uh, uh, he did, just... and, and uh, I, I think if we're digressing, I mean, they're, they're pretty sad. I think the saddest piece of merchandise um, is the Doctor Who Dymo machine. The Dymo, la- remember the Dymo label printers? Oh, okay, yes. You turn the little dial and oh, then you yes. push it and it put an indentation in a piece of plastic. Yeah, yeah. there's actually a Doctor Who Dymo machine. Is it only Doctor Who-ish in the sense that it had a sticker that said Doctor Who? Uh, it had a Doctor Who logo on it and it was actually it was sold as a Doctor Who data printer. Um, and it was that? sold with these little <laughs> strips of Dymo so you could put these little cryptic messages on things and stick them to things. And then run away sc- uh, laughing.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: That is a digression.
0: Um, who were the uh, who were the big publishers at that time of reference books?
1: Uh, certainly, in the nineties, the, uh, the main one was Virgin. Mm-hmm. Probably up until the point where they lost uh, they lost their license, and they lost
0: their license for fiction and nonfiction, didn't they?
1: Um, they did. I, I believe from memory, they, they kept going with the nonfiction a bit longer, uh, I think. But um, but but certainly in, in the wake of the telemovie. movie. Um, they they lost uh, they, they they lost their fiction license and then I, I think they lost really lost interest probably because again I, I think we we sort of get into in the, the late nineties we, we probably get into another era where um, the, the the general public interest in the series starts to wane a bit. That's after um, the telly movie. After the telly movie yeah. because there's sort of I, I think there's sort of that realization that, that okay it had had its chance and look it wasn't mm. going to come back anytime soon. Mm. Um, so you start to find a lot of your general publishers perhaps are less interested, yep. uh, in doing it. I mean, there there is a story, and this is probably around the time of the Telling movie, obviously, but uh, the the John Pertwee, uh, the last John Pertwee book, that the I am the Doctor, one, I, I believe they would pitched that initially as a book about John Pertwee, um, and his life and career, uh, and and Virgin sort of said, well, if it's not a Doctor Who we we don't care. So um. That that then had to become obviously a, a, a Doctor Who book, um, with with a bit of information about the rest of his life. But, um, so you do, so you do you do sort of get I think into the later nineties where, where you know uh, it starts to become more exclusively the, the realm of the fans.
0: Okay, I think and who were the fan publishers then? I suppose Telos.
1: Um, Tel- Telos is probably the first major one. Um, we then start to get into. I mean, obviously now you've got, perhaps they more biographies. I mean, you've got your new publishing and, and your Phantom Films. Mm. Um, now they, they tend probably more to be, probably more your biographies. But um, uh, look, your major publisher from that era is, is definitely Telos. Um, there are a couple of smaller publishers. You start to get, uh, one of the, the ones in the early 2000s is uh, the About Time series. Oh, yes. Uh, by um, Wood and Lawrence Miles. That's through Mad Norwegian, is uh, it? That's Mad Norwegian. And they've, I believe, again, they're working on... I don't think Lawrence Miles has anything to do with them anymore, but Wood, as far as I'm aware, is, is working on... Well, they did their first one on the new series, and I believe he's working on another mm-hmm. um, as we speak. And they, they republish... Uh, Lance, Park, Lance Parkin does a, a, an expanded version of um, of, of uh, the history of the universe. Well, That's those A History. A History. Uh, so, title.
0: well, now that we're in the twenty first century, tell us a bit about the, the sort of reference books that are coming out pre the new series and then post.
1: Well, I guess if we if we look at the, the we we'll start with the classic series. Um, the classic series stuff really is aimed, w- with a few exceptions, the classic series stuff is really aimed at, at probably your your you hardcore fans. Um, so their books, um, their, their books on production details. I mean, some of them are large coffee table books. Like, There's a very nice book Telos did with um, based on, on uh, Raymond Cusick's designs. It's a very big, large format. Um, they did a similar one for um, the guy who did uh, Barry Newbring, uh, the guy who did the Aztecs. Mm-hmm. A couple of other stories. They're, they're quite, generally speaking, perhaps quite niche. I mean, I'm thinking, obviously, of books like Wiped, Mm. Perhaps first and second edition, which, uh, much and all as I love and look it is. I think it is. It is probably the ultimate word on uh, <laughs> ultimate word on, on missing, on on well certainly producing and, and selling and distributing Doctor Who, and and I guess look there, there's always scope for an updated version once uh, the full story of uh, Mister Boris's exploits come out, but that is probably a book. I don't think that would ever have seen light of day, probably from a mainstream publisher. Uh, I wouldn't have thought. Well, if it wasn't missing episodes of Doctor Who, it would never have seen a lot of day at all. No, probably not. Uh, I mean, look, you're I, not going to see a book about the missing episodes of Callan or the Avengers. No, I mean, look, I, I would probably read a book about the missing episodes no, I of Cullen, but no, look, you're, you're right. Uh, and ha- actually, having said that, there is a book about the missing episodes of the Avengers, but anyway. Yes, there is. Um, so I take that all back. Hmm. Yeah, there is. But uh, so you, you, on one level, probably have these quite niche books. But I suppose you've also got, the, the, of course, the, the big thing that happens, and I guess we're coming even further forward, is you you sort of get into the uh, the 50th anniversary. Um, so, of course, you start to get these other quite big books looking at the entirety of Doctor Who. Um, so you start to get books like, there was a big, big, quite nice, big uh, one called The Vault. Um, which was sort of a, a, a sort of a wander through the fifty years of, of the series. Um, there was um, the history of Doctor Who in a hundred objects. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one of those that that actually wasn't a bad book because that just looked at a, a, a landmark stories, I suppose, to an extent, um, and and focused on you know an aspect of that that particular part of the um, series. But the, the the classic series stuff, if you're only looking at classic series, they they tend to be quite niche books and probably still are.
0: Is the, uh, the book that Gary Russell does about the TV movie...
1: Uh, in- oh, actually, I missed that. Uh, Regeneration. That is it, yeah, actually. Is that that's pre- 2000 or post? Uh, that's about 99, 2000, oh, okay. somewhere around there. That That's a, actually, that is a great book. Mm. Um, that's a very, very in-depth book. Is that the last
0: word on the TV movie? I know nothing at the end of the lane. Oh, no, they didn't, did they?
1: no that's the only
0: book oh then there's InVision sorry the uh, there, right there's there.
1: the InVision that covered it and I think there's been a couple other things because I, I guess part of the problem with that is, is it's, it's tied up with um, tied up with, with Fox and Universal so uh, well tied up with Fox so um, you, you probably have a, a few issues there I mean mm-hmm. I know that um, uh, good old Big Finish uh, when they viewed Daphne Ashbrook um, and uh, the, the, the uh, other fellow, uh, the um, Yee Jeetzo whatever his name is yeah. Um, they can't use them as their movie characters because, yeah, they, they don't want to pay the money for the rights.
0: It'd be interesting to know, there's a little article there in, in Who Holds the Rights, or well, the right situation for the TV movie. But, so from what you're saying, it's the, all the BBC elements stay with the BBC, clearly. Uh, pretty much. Doctor Who, TARDIS, that sort of thing, Daleks. And everything else is Universals or Foxes?
1: Uh, basically, I think. Um, the, the other characters and the probably the storyline and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, I mean, Doctor Who really, I guess to an extent, only gets you the character, the Doctor, and the, and the TARDIS. Um, and I guess the concept. I mean, look, if you want Daleks, you have to negotiate with the BBC and Terry Nation's mm-hmm. estate. Um, and what is it? I think the BBC own the look and he owns the feel. Yep. or something uh, actually harking back to, to your uh, John Prettle podcast the, the Saywood thing um, he went on record as saying basically it wouldn't be worth him writing the books because the amount of money he'd have to give over to Terry Nation's estate wouldn't make it worthwhile because the, the pie um, the, the the slices of the pie for Dalek <laughs> stories are, are very small yeah. uh, I think left but particularly after um, the, you get into the later Dalek stories where obviously they've renegotiated the, the contracts because you have sort of the original Dalek ones, and then you have the later Dalek ones, which are under okay. a different agreement.
0: So the TV movie is very extensively covered in that. Um, it is that.
1: That's actually. I, I actually think you for reminding me about that one. That that's a, that is a, a regeneration. It's called that. Is a really good book
0: and and the best of those style books marry good writing and good research and the visual side the photos and that, cetera, um they, they they do
1: and that that's probably a good example of how to do it mm. uh i mean that that takes it right through from from the early days of acquiring the license and and what are we going to do and how are we going to do it and then you go through the casting process um and then you go through um you then go through uh actually producing once they found their doctor um and and you know that the, the that's a thing he was one of the last actors uh Paul McGann was actually one of the last actors to to read for it yeah. um and act beat out his own brother so but then they go through the production and then of course distributing it in the aftermath but that that's a that's a very in-depth book so that that is actually an example probably of how to do one i, I actually think that that is a, a great book so the new series rolls around so what are the give us a brief proceed of the uh, the new series books there's a, a big, uh, as we talked about, there, there, there is a, a, an avalanche uh, or a tsunami of, of merchandise and, and books when that comes. Um, I, I think initially you almost go back sort of to the, probably almost to the late 70s in a way, because they're, they're, a lot of them are clearly written for, for, for younger readers um, and younger fans. Um, the, the quality of the books obviously is a lot better mm-hmm. in terms of when I mean, they're in colour, they're glossy, um you know but there's i mean this, this is an era where you can have i mean you've got doctor who then you've got doctor who adventures totally doctor who um they're putting out two you know magazine for kids magazine for older ones um you've got spin-offs here so it's everywhere really for particularly again once you sort of move on from christian Eccleston, you get that, that it has that big surge in popularity under david Tennant.
0: so does the plethora of that sort of information you know tv behind the scenes and the magazines mean that the reference books are less
1: required or useful? Or are they a good way of collating all that information into one volume? Um, they're probably, the ones that are there are probably a way of collating all information. I, I think there is so much stuff produced alongside the series though that in some ways, maybe not irrelevant, but they're. Probably really only repeating because again, I mean, you remember particularly in the in the earlier days, you could watch Doctor Who and then and then you could then spend the next 50 minutes watching the episode and then spend the next 50 minutes watching the behind the scenes special on it. Um, and then of course there was additional online content. And then if you wanted to go and watch, you know, totally Doctor Who, that the one for little kids, you get more, you know, different stuff again. So it's it's an overabundance, really. I mean, there's more, more information I think than you could possibly take in. Yeah. Uh, I, I think in a lot of ways. And yet none of them can tell us why Eccleston left. Uh, no. Well, 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 what happened to the flaming couch in Rose? That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, that, that's probably, uh, Eccleston's departure is probably like one of those ones in twenty when it passes a 25-year yeah. rule. Um, they'll suddenly re- they'll suddenly just release the documentation.
0: <laughs> we'll see the contract negotiations in fine yeah. print
1: yeah. I, I, I mean I certainly struggled and I mean I you know, I was watching the episodes real time, but you know, you then had to download confidential and you had to uh, all the other stuff. So plus of course D W M because it suddenly had went from a new era where there was nothing to talk about to to suddenly there being this whole new you know, a whole new series to talk about. Of course, it was devoting a lot of space to it as well.
0: It, it suddenly felt uh, all that behind-the-scenes TV stuff was a burden to watch instead of, you know, something interesting to
1: look at. Um, it, it, it was a bit, f- I, I sort of thought, but I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, some of it also, I probably lost my way a bit with David Tennant, so... Um, well, you haven't come back either by the yeah. sense of it. <laughs> uh, no, look, I, I liked, uh, I very much liked the season he was with Catherine Tate. I thought that actually was quite good. I I probably yeah I struggled a bit with it early in that and I I did probably my my break probably came during the Matt Smith era to be honest but uh, I think but no I haven't wandered back you're clearly
0: not a screaming teenage girl so that's the problem no that's
1: obviously the problem so
0: before we wrap it up then what are the standout books uh, for the new series that people can go track down and find if there are any The Writer's Tale by RTD and and Ben Cook is that a good one yeah that's actually
1: not a good read there's a not a good read or a good read? Uh, no, it is a good read. Um, there There's actually, a, uh, I think I mentioned this on the biographies one. There's a very good book called more about if you want how the show came back. There's quite a good book called T is for Television, which is uh, a book about it's it's I mean, it's it's really Russell T Davies' career, but um, it has a, an extensive section there about you know how he proves himself with a couple of series, and then of course uh, what what do you what do you want to do? I want to you know I want to do Doctor Who. So, um, and and how that how he worked and tirelessly uh, or whatever to bring the series back. Um, And then, of course, how he brought it back and his work actually on making it work for for a new audience. Um, So that's quite good. Um, In terms of new series-specific books, though, I'd probably have to be honest and say, look, I haven't read a lot of them because I either found them really for, for kids... Um, or I, I probably wasn't as interested in the content. I mean, look, the About Time one on the first two series is quite good. Um, I, that only covers the Eccleston year and, and the first David Tennant year. But um, I, I found that quite a good book. But um, I, I think the better ones probably were some of the 50th anniversary ones, I, I think, for, for which really covered the entirety of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vault was quite good. I quite liked that. I thought that was a very good book. And, and indeed the, yeah, the one I mentioned earlier the, the history of Doctor Who and 100 objects um, that, that one's not a bad one either ok so people can go hunt for those on they way, can go hunt for well so yeah. so I think the vault the vault I think you can still pick up I think Amazon still have the vault so. ok now uh,
0: before we wrap it up everyone likes a list what are your top Three or four or five books that people should look out
1: for. If, if I was putting together a, it's hard because my personal choice is probably a little different from, from what you might think are good entry points. Well, don't worry about that. Just no, okay. Well, well, ones, ones I, I think that I've got personally got a lot out of. I mean, look, if you're interested in merchandise, well, I mean, there, there really is only one book there. That, that that's House Toy Box. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, I know there are a lot of books coming on the Phil Morris Missing Episode Saga. One, but two, uh, at least three apparently yeah and, and uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see those when they come but I mean really you, you can't really go past uh, Wipe there I wouldn't have thought no I, I do want to give another shout out to Nothing at the End of the Lane yes um, i found their work and again look it's it's classic Doctor Who but that's probably where my interest is except for uh, the fourth issue which does cover uh, Mummy on the um, it, Express it, it does that's probably an aberration
0: <laughs> what are you thinking Richard Bignall
1: <laughs> don't sell your soul <laughs> I would recommend them to anyone who's interested in in probably the early years of Doctor Mm -hmm. Who. I, I think they're great magazines. Um, I mean, look, there's only four of them across uh, what's taken them 13 years, I yep. think, to get out four issues. So, sure. look, there's not, not high volume. All
0: available on the website, and don't go buying them on eBay because you'll get ripped. So. Yeah,
1: you will You will get ripped. They're, they're a lot cheaper. Although, thanks to the UK uh, recent UK postage hikes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I think you actually pay more in postage than the bloody, the, the bloody mag costs, I think. But, uh, um, so much for the mining boom lifting up the Australian dollar. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, they're, they're well worth reading. I, again, I, I keep coming back to the 60s and 70s and 80s but I think they were, again, for their time, landmark titles. Um, I actually got a lot out of the About Time series. Uh, I think they're quite good books mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, on the whole. Um, so probably a couple of personal favourites. The, the two original monster books um, are probably two of my personal favourites, again, because I invested so much time reading them mm. and rereading them. them. Um, Laficio's Program Guide, I actually still think that's, that's still got some merit to it. I still pull that out occasionally. So I'm composing emails on on Doctor Who, um, and when we were writing panels and stuff for the club, I still pull them out occasionally.
0: Well, that's introduced me to the concept of the serial code. So yeah, well, that's
1: uh, yes, good old uh, yes, good old production code. Mm. Oh, that's my right,
0: production code. That's right. yeah.
1: So um, those are ones. Um, other than that, probably one of my other favourites actually is the technical manual because I spent ages uh, flipping through the images in that, and and I remember when we were compiling fanzines. We shamelessly uh, <laughs> appropriated image after image after image from it because uh, they they were actually very nice, uh, clearly drawn images, even mm. if they you know weren't perhaps always particularly accurate. But so so I do have a soft spot for that because that provided uh, many a page filler mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> or front cover image. Yep. So that's probably
0: what. what, what a, what are yours? Well, purely from a nostalgic point of view, I would go the Laficia Program Guides. Uh, they still stick or loom large in my memory. Uh, the Key to Time, again, purely for nostalgia. Yep. The Technical Manual. I mean, these, these are books that you know my parents bought for me, so they have that sort of value. In terms of uh, readability uh, and a view on the series, a very well-written view on the series, uh, the, the, the Decades books, as you point out. I want to give a shout-out for the InVision magazines, particularly yeah. uh, from Robot onwards. In accompaniment with Pixley's archives, I don't think you can go past those those magazines
1: for an insight into the production process. No, actually, that that's one I should mention. Um, I, I always uh, at a DWM. I must admit, I got to the point probably DWM where I was buying them. Uh, I think in the later years, I was probably buying them specifically for the archive because mm. I really wasn't. I mean, the articles were a lot of them rehashes, and I really, you know, I never got into the comics. So mm. it's only so many times you can interview Tom Baker. <laughs> But the thing is, he tells you different things each time. He's a chameleon. He's a chameleon. <laughs> um, and and those um those uh, archives, I, I was always a little surprised that um, DWM never released them in a in a combined format um, until over, until well yeah until our new until the new Partworks works series. Are they
0: the Doctor Who hand no are they um,
1: they're those uh, the ultimate guide or something it's called. Yes. Um, Have you? I haven't any... seen them here.
0: No, I I actually rang up the the local publisher. Yes, and they the woman I spoke to on the phone did indicate that they would be coming oh, out here
1: they, they will come out here the, oh, the, the
0: issue with those is, is that you, your local news agency will probably have the first three or four on the shelf and then you've got a have a secret handshake and agreement with them to hold them
1: um I, I would think so i suspect probably the thing here for australian fans is uh, they'll probably be fairly pricey i i think we'll be about talking 20, bucks. 20 25 bucks yeah. I, I would think and that's every what fortnight i think well look, they'll, they'll probably do a lot of those part work series they will make you the offer about probably halfway through or 20 30 issues in. Where, if you would like to send us a, a set amount of money, we will just send you all the other titles. Send us your firstborn. Um, particularly, I mean that—that's perhaps more for the ones where you know you build build a model ship over mm. 180 issues or something. You could have um, bought the ship at a shop <laughs> 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 and saved more money.
0: That's that's the problem with the part works. You are, yeah, you are paying over, over the. Oh, uh,
1: you, you are. I actually bought a couple of the UK ones mm. um, just to see if they are any good and and i actually was quite surprised actually they are they are really good quality things they're, they're well worth buying look whether you that would translate into you wanting to spend uh, i think there's what 85 titles or 88 in the set so a couple of thousand dollars yeah Australian. that's the thing Unless unless they you know i don't know whether that translates into you wanting to spend you know 16 1700 bucks but uh, that's 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 them appealing
0: to the collectible Factor isn't. Oh, it? You, oh, for you, sure. You buy one, and then you've bought ten, and then you've bought twenty-five,
1: and you don't want to miss out, and that's N- what they're banking on. No, and it is. They're, and like, it,
0: they're like dealers peddling heroin on the street corner. No offense, <laughs> but that's what it's like. Yeah,
1: and and of course they're crafty too because they don't release them in order, so you can just go. I'm oh, only interested in the '60s. Next yeah. stop. No, no. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, they're, they're scattered. The first four, I think, were where there was a tenant one, a we one, a Hartnell one, and a McCoy one. I think, from memory, just testing the market. I think were the first were the first four. So um, you know, if you want a full set of William Hartnell adventures, you you know you'll probably find that's going to be the last the the last book you need. It's probably going to be like issue eighty seven or eighty eight
0: in two thousand and twenty five. So yes, a bit earlier than that. So um, and for me, I think a lot of the books from the nineties hold a great deal of appeal. So the discontinuity guide, which actually is a precursor to the about about time books, where it marries uh, opinion with fact. Fact and, and probably and gets the facts more accurate than the
1: About Time book. Yeah, look, there has been a few proper queries raised about mm-hmm. some of the, the, the veracity in the About Time stuff. But there
0: was a there was a hardcover book about is it the history of Gallifrey?
1: Oh yes, the Gallifrey Chronicles. Yes, um, which again, that's more fiction fiction mingled with fact. It, it is. Um, that's that's uh, John Peel's one. Well, he, Of course, we uh, mentioned earlier he'd been publishing his season guides for for a long time in the US. Um, and he did, I think he first came to notice, he did a book on, it was called The Story of Doctor Who and the Daleks. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, by that time, he had, Terry Nation was living in, in the States. So um, I think he became buds, I, I think, over yes. the course of the book. And I, because I, I, I do seem to remember when we bonded over MacGyver or something, <laughs> <laughs> shared love of MacGyver. <laughs> But they, uh, I think when the Power and Evil books came to be written, the reason he was, uh, uh, John Peel wrote them and and not somebody else uh, was because Nation Mm. sort of said, well, he can write them and I'll I'll either reduce or waive my fee. Uh, Because, yeah, yeah, because, you know, he's my homie. That's right.
0: Actually, it's interesting that John Peel is uh, one of the uh, named writers for uh, a a book in the lethbridge Short series coming up.
1: Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, So
0: he's got a gig doing those, so... Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think uh, a lot of the books from the 90s are of a very good quality and actually looking through the pile that you've, uh, you've got there uh, makes me wish that I hadn't sold the decades books, but I'll, I'll, go, I'll go onto eBay tonight <laughs> and spend some of my future wage. Now, uh, just before we wrap it up, Richard, yes. I'm going to read out a letter from, from, from Mark in his absence. Any... Oh, I thought you were going to say Sherrick Jews there for a sec. No, I... no, 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 no. I wonder if Sherrick has gone. Any final thoughts on Doctor Who reference books?
1: They could. They could.
0: Is is there a book out there that needs to be written? Is there a comprehensive one-volume history of the show
1: from nineteen sixty-three to two thousand and fifteen? I don't think you could write a volume like that. To be honest, I, I think without probably look, you, you could write. I mean, look, the, the vault, and there are other books that go through the history. It, it's it's always a balancing act, probably between readability and accessibility and detail, mm-hmm. I, I suppose, because I, I would think a book that gave you absolute, you know, blow by blow minutiae would, would either be a massive tome, several tomes, or, you know, be a fairly dry read. I mean, again, and i use Wiped as an example, because it probably is a perfect example of that. That is an immaculately researched, written, and detailed book, but it's a very, very dry book, mm. and... It's you know it's look it's not a book that I would argue it's probably more information than you would ever need mm. uh, on it, on its subject. But you know, the, so there is a balancing act obviously between writing the, the 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 most detailed book that satisfies you know that that craving for uh, knowledge and and making it accessible. So I mean, your accessible books probably maybe don't have the level of detail that a dedicated fan wants. Or is full of redundant information for them, but a book for a dedicated fan is is yeah mm-hmm. um, is is terribly is, is inaccessible to a casual reader. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Perhaps very good. All right, so we'll read this uh, letter from from Mark. Now he, uh, in the planning for this podcast, uh, the reason why Richard and I are doing it is because Mark was uh, going to be off to the Doctor Who festival. So in preparation of that uh, or for that, uh, Mark wrote the following. Dear Rob and Stand In. Stand In being Richard. If you are reading this message, then I am attending the Doctor Who Festival in Sydney. Or, worse still, I am attending the Doctor Who Festival in Sydney and being subjected to clips from Death in Heaven to highlight what an awesome script it was and what a talented writer (laughs) Stephen Moffat truly is. Stevo. Stevo. Stemo. Stevo. I would like to, if I may, in no particular order present my list of my favorite reference Who books that I hold in great affection. Doctor Who, a celebration, timed beautifully with the 20th anniversary. This was, for a number of years, the go-to reference book. And it was a shame that every handing offering after this publication diluted the great work he did on this book. And also, it included an incredibly detailed episode guide for each story up to the King's Demons. Still an interesting read after all these years and should be part of anyone's collection. Cyberman by David Banks, the book that showed what a fan publication could do, as well as putting together fan theories about cyber history <laughs> that just about works. The paperback version was revised to include Silver Nemesis, more than happy sure. with that hardback that completely ignores it. The <laughs> Excellent. Vault. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, the Vault, Marcus Hearn, a recent entry into the reference book charts, but it's a well-presented and detailed expansion on the timeframe book by David Howe, charting the highs and lows of the series with photos, Space Pirates, Helmet, Anyone. And illustrations, this is the great coffee table book that you wouldn't be embarrassed leaving out for your non-who-loving friends to see. The 60s, 70s and 80s books by Howe, Stammers and Walker. Sounds like a um, pop song writing uh, trio. I'm going to cheat here and include the three separate books as one. The 60s started smashing fan myths regarding the show's inception, as well as detailing the production of each series and associated tat, sorry, merchandise. It's well-researched and an engaging read. The Target Book, which Richard and I completely overlooked. Oh, yes. We'll get back onto that in a sec, actually, by David Howe. David J. Howe takes his DWM articles on the history of the range and expands it to include unused covers, interviews with illustrators, slash range editors, and the New Adventures range. It's the definitive resource on this much-loved Target novelization range. And then bubbling under the surface is the Handbook series by Howe, Stammers and Walker, the television companion by Howe, Stammer, and Walker, <laughs> and the early early years by J. Jeremy Bentham. Bentham. Uh, keep punching, Mark. Currently sequestered in Wigan. Well, thank you for that, Mark. Just as a coda to the episode, yeah, uh, we actually
1: yes, we did we did completely skip the Target Book.
0: Tell us all about the Target Book in three minutes. You can go and get it if you want. No, but, no just uh, tell us about it.
1: No, it, it is. Um, it is. Well, as Mark said, it, it is a, a, probably the the definitive guide, if you want to call it that, um, to the Target Range. It's got interviews with a number of the the main players, and not just the authors, the people behind. Uh, the books as well, how they, they went through and, and realised, you know, they, they bought the rights to the original Doctor Who publications, uh, from the three novels from the 60s um, and reprinted those and then started working on, and soon they um, met a young uh, young writer by the name of Terence Dix who became a, <laughs> became a staple part of
0: their uh, output for the next... And uh, incurred a large tax bill at some point. Yeah. <laughs> You've just got to lodge a tax return Terence, that's all you need to do son. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: Every year. That's right. Yeah, so and of course you do have that that uh, magical point where you know they're releasing uh, 12 books a year and Terence is writing 10 or 11 of them. <laughs>
0: Got to feed the family and the mortgage.
1: Well, he well he had quite a, a prolific career, of course, outside of Doctor Who. novelling. noveling. I mean, he wrote. Uh, you you probably would have read the the Sherlock Holmes, the uh, Baker Street regular mm. ones he did uh, with the, the, the young Sherlock Holmes, Kitty and his in his friends. Yes. Um, and then there was uh, the monster series he did. Um, there was a like a, a Wolfman one, a, a Vampire one, a, a Frankenstein one, a Mummy one. And then I think, I, which I never read, but there was a book at the end that sort of tied them all together. So it was oh. like a team up.
0: Team up before, um,
1: before, before the Avengers movie. Yeah, and then there was the, the, the uh, Star Quest series he did, which was three teenagers who were uh, sort of hijacked by an alien spaceship at Stonehenge. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, and then had, uh, I think, three or four adventures in, in novel form before mm-hmm. clearly he had more Target books, mm-hmm. more, uh, more Doctor Who novels to write and forgot about them
0: you wonder how Terence would have gone without access to the scripts because you, you could never pump out a book 20, 25,000 oh.
1: well you, you 30, do wonder I, I know he said that a lot of times he would sit there if the episodes were still there and he would sit and watch them mm. and then you know just try and sort of get do the, the mental picture of what he got in his head and then use the script I think as a prop but um, which, which makes you wonder perhaps uh, in the very early days whether he sat and watched something like The Abominable Snowmen yes. uh, before it was junked um, to, 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 to crank out his book or crank out the novel. But, uh, no, That that's uh, going back on topic. that That is a great, uh, great little resource. Um, mm-hmm. It's also a very hard book to come by. Yes. Um, I think it... Because it, uh, it was only... I, I don't think it's ever been reprinted. Well, I picked my copy up off eBay for
0: 50 bucks, which I was glad to pay that. Yeah. I couldn't... I, yeah, you're paying yeah, a bit and, more for and, it now. And
1: actually, I was going to say, probably that, that's probably cheap, actually, yeah. 50, 50 bucks, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that's... Uh, no, that, that that's a great book.
0: All right. And on that note... Uh, we'll wrap up our discussion on reference books, Richard. It's great uh, having you on again on the show.
1: Thanks for having me on. I hope it's been interesting to listen to, not too, uh, not too niche, not not too a nerd fest. No, yeah. no,
0: no. It's always interesting to talk about these things with someone as well versed as yourself because it, uh, it's oh, a great sharks. Sharks. Uh, it's a it's a it's it's a good discussion when when you know what you're talking about. So, so when can we do the metal miniatures one? <laughs> uh, we'll get back to you on that one. Um, now, assuming this episode goes out this year. Uh, Richard will be back uh, with David uh, and, and and Mark and myself to uh, wrap up the year in Doctor Who and have a little Christmas uh, episode. Uh, otherwise, you'll be seeing this, you'll <laughs> be listening it, to this next Does that mean year. I have to watch the episodes? Actually, no. Once again, Richard, thank you very much. Again, thanks for having me back on. And uh, and for all our fans out there, <laughs> keep punching. You've just listened to another episode of Forty Two to Doomsday, the podcast that loves talking about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at forty two to doomsday at gmail.com. We can be reached at facebook.com forward slash forty two to doomsday. If Brevity is your game, we can be found on Twitter at forty-two to doomsday. Please check out our blog, forty-two to where Mark and I occasionally have something interesting to say. Aside from iTunes, you can listen to us via Stitcher and Player FM. If you enjoyed listening to us, leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening. Have a great week. We'll speak with you again soon.